My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Morning, Jim. Robert. Hey. Hi, Jim. Tree kiss. Sharing your faith doesn't have to be hard. Elderly woman who walked into a local country church and the friendly usher greeted her at the door and helped her into the sanctuary. And he said to her, where would you like to sit? And she said, the front row, please. And the usher said, you, you don't really want to do that. And she said, well, why is that? She said, he said, because the, the preacher is just really, really boring. And the lady said to the usher, do you happen to know who I am? And the usher said, no. And she said, I'm the preacher's mother. And the usher said, well, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And the usher said, good. And he ran out of the sanctuary. Got a question for you this morning. Have you ever been in a very awkward situation before? If you're like me, it probably happens more often than and I was sitting down at this table and there was a lady beside me and she said, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? And I turned and looked at her and I said, my day is going wonderfully. And then she looked at me really strangely and then I realized she had a Bluetooth in her ear. <laughs> she was talking to somebody else, right? <laughs> you ever been in situations like that before? It happens to me all the time. Just awkward, awkward situations. <laughs> You know, and many of us have been in awkward situations when we have tried to share our faith with someone, and hence the video we just saw, right? And I really enjoy this clip because I think it speaks to a situation that we've all been in before. We know we need to share this message of Jesus Christ with others, but trying to share Jesus with others sometimes can be difficult and awkward. So today I want to spend some time talking really about evangelism and outreach and how as disciples of Christ we're called to share our faith with others. And we know that this can be intimidating and awkward at times, especially for people who are introverts. And I don't know how many introverts we have in the house this morning, but this can be difficult at times. And it's really a tough task sharing our faith, living in the region of the country that we live in where people are so quick to close their garage door and go into their house or walk right by you at the grocery store without saying hi. It's, it's hard. So this morning, I want to examine how we can be more effective in this department, okay? 
But before we begin, I've got to say a very special thank you uh, to actually these two men that are talking now, Ed and John Pelly. You know, Mike uh, Capusta has transitioned out from our media department, and Ed and John are doing a phenomenal job of trying to work that system back there. So we want to say thank you to them. Uh, really working hard to make that happen. And uh, Skeeter, thank you so much for that wonderful uh, communion thought this morning, brother. Yeah, I think you always do a wonderful job in encouraging us and centering us um, on the cross. Real quick, if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest, and we're so excited that you're here with us today. And I don't know what brought you out here this morning. Maybe you're passing through. Maybe you're looking for a home church. Whatever the case is, we're thrilled that you're here, and uh, we believe you've come to the right place because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. Title of the sermon this morning, Be Relevant. Be Relevant. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and I'm actually going to read the first seven verses of John chapter 4. Open up your Bibles, pull out your tablets, get your phones, and let's look together at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Scripture says here, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And in verses 6 and 7, which we know well, Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John 14, in particular verses 6 and 7, are really powerful verses. Actually, the entire text is just so powerful. If you think about this correspondence, really beginning in chapter 13, we see uh, Jesus conducting his public ministry. And in the beginning of chapter 13, we see Jesus modeling what relevant teaching looks like or what relevant living looks like by washing his disciples' feet. You know the story. Then he goes on to predict his betrayal by Judas. You remember he said, I'm going to the cross and someone is going to betray me. Lastly, he then talks about Peter and how Peter was actually going to deny him three times. And then we get into chapter 14. And he says to his disciples, after you've considered all these things, knowing that someone is going to betray me, knowing that Peter is going to deny me three times, knowing that I am going to be crucified and have to go to the cross and you all are going to be scattered and in, uh, encountering a bunch of hardships. After all this, here's what I want to say to you in chapter 14. Don't be troubled. And it's like, what? You just told us all this stuff. And then you're saying to us, don't be 
troubled. And why does he say that? Well, he says that because the Holy Spirit would come and help you during these times. And then we get to, like I said, verse 6 and 7. If you can go to that next slide, it says something really neat. Jesus really here sheds light on, on eschatology. It's a term that we use in seminary that really just focuses on what happens in the end times. And what Jesus says in this text is he says, look, in my father's house, in verses 4 and 5, there are many rooms. And Thomas, I love his question, Thomas really says, um, you know, how can you get there? And that speaks to the nature of Thomas, right? Thomas was this guy who was just a doubter, didn't believe, had trouble sometimes really trying to believe the message. And, and Jesus said, look, in the end times, I'm going to be with the Father, and there's this, this mansion, this house, and there's a whole bunch of rooms. And Thomas is going, yeah, right, Jesus. If that's the key case, show us, show us how to get there. He didn't believe Jesus, remember, came back from the dead, so he had to feel his, his hands and his side. You guys remember the story there. And he said, look, if people, this is Jesus, if people want to know God, they have to know me. If people want to know God, they have to know Jesus. And I believe, I don't know about you, that there's a whole bunch of people that we encounter today in our social circles, in our places of employment, family, friends, so forth and so on, that really want to know God. They want to know if God is active in the world today and how they can relate to God. And, and the message is, look, if you want to know God, you have to know this Jesus person. You have to know the Jesus story. You have to be connected to Jesus. And the question really for us today is, what is our job in this? How do we connect the story of Jesus to the lives of people? How do we make the story relevant? And many of you are saying, well, you don't have to make it relevant because the gospel is, is powerful enough to uh, address issues back then, presently, and tomorrow. And I understand that. I understand that, and I would agree with that. But just follow along with me, and I want to shed some light really on, on how we can be more relevant in our, our teaching. If you have your uh, bulletin this morning, you'll notice a, a sermon outline in, in your, uh, your bulletin. You can take that out. In all my slides, I've, I've uh, underlined, I believe, a couple of words maybe, and I want you guys to fill in those principles as you see them. Uh, so I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 6 and 7 um, I love this text because it, it, it helps us to understand what our job is when it comes to connecting people with Jesus. It really helps us to understand this. So the scripture says, uh, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So how do we become relevant in our teaching? Well, we first need to realize what we're called to do when it comes to us sharing the message of Christ with others. Our job, as Scripture said, is to plant the seed. Plant the seed. And that seems simple enough. We're called to share the message of Christ within every social circle that we find ourselves in today. 
Some people will appreciate what we're trying to do and who we're trying to share. Others will look at you like you're out of touch with reality. But our job is to make sure that we're spreading the seed. You guys remember the story or the parable of the sower. The sower's job was to spread the seed around, and sometimes it would fall on bad ground. Sometimes it would fall on good ground. Sometimes the birds of the air came and ate it up, right? But as sowers of seed, it's our job just to throw it out. And we have a lot of tools that we can use today to make sure we share the message of Christ, right? And we need to make sure we're utilizing those tools to spread the seed. That's our job, to put the seed out there. What else is our job? Well, our job is to water as well. Uh, Scripture says that seed and water are important for things to grow. And uh, there's this group of people that I often talk about that you guys, maybe you've heard this terminology, I believe there's seekers all around us. Have you heard the term seeker before? You know what a seeker is? A seeker is a person who has heard about Jesus and might be familiar with the story and might even like the story of Jesus, and they're really trying to work out how the message of Jesus can be relevant in their lives and what to do with Jesus is what they're really trying to figure out, right? So we planted seed, we threw it out there, and now we need to water They've heard about it, and they're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. We're called to water, which means to spend time sharing God's grace with people consistently. You know, plants, they take time to grow, don't they? They just don't sprout up overnight. You can't put a seed in the ground, and then it just comes right up. But sometimes that's what we expect when it comes to sharing the gospel. We're going to tell somebody this gospel message, and they need to hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, be added to the church right then and there. But we know plants take time to grow. And what it needs is not only the seed, but it needs consistent watering. Watering a plant is a job that requires consistency. So I just want to encourage you to think about this, right? When it comes to sharing your faith, what it requires is is us being consistent with it. It's like going to the gym, right? You want to get in shape and you want to grow those muscles, you can't go once a month and expect to be Superman, right? You've got to go every day and it takes baby steps. So when it comes to sharing our faith with our family, baby steps every single day. And be something as simple as this, you know, uh, I've been praying for you today. You know, I just want to let you know that I've been thinking about you and, and God loves you. I just wanted to share that with you today. Consistency is key. And then lastly, Scripture says God grows them into converts. Now, we might be playing semantics here just a little bit, but I want you to bear with me. You know, Scripture never says, it never tells us in the Bible to go and make converts. You heard that? It doesn't say go and make converts. The Bible tells us to go and make disciples. So bear with me because I might be playing semantics. Uh, There's a difference, in my opinion, between a convert and and a disciple. In order to be a disciple, you have had to have been a convert, of course, but I think there's a difference. So what is a convert? A convert is someone who is new to faith or they're a babe in Christ. They're brand new. Disciples are dedicated, mature followers of Christ. And we all know you start off as converts, but the scripture says you shouldn't stay that way, right? We've got to grow up and we've got to mature in our faith. And, you know, if you, 
have the same experience I did growing up, you know that oftentimes what we would do is we would be in a hurry to convert somebody, right? To baptize them and then to convert them, and then they're in the church, and what do we do from there? <laughs> Good luck. You're on your own. Hopefully you can figure out this, this thing that we call faith, right? We may have a new, what, what do we call it? New converts class, right? And then from there, you've got to figure it out. But from what I read in Scripture, Jesus wants us to make disciples of people. And that's a longer process. God helps with the conversion, but when it comes to the discipling, that's why he put us in positions to, to help with people, help people grow. So we're called to do that, to make disciples, and God helps with the converts. That's my opinion. So here we go. If you have your outline, I've got a question on your outline that I want you to, to fill in uh, with us this morning as we consider how to be more relevant. This is, this is really just some really practical information, okay? We know that we're called to plant the seed and to water and to allow God to grow these babes, but I think there's something that we can do to be proactive when it comes to sharing our faith. How can we become more relevant? I love, again, I love that video this morning. The guy had the, uh, the track in his pocket. Jesus Christ, right? And he's thinking, I got to do this. I got to do this. But he, he failed to realize that might not be the most relevant way to, to, to share your faith, right? So I want to give you some, and this is not up on the slides. You can just fill them in on your, uh, on your outline this morning. What are some ways that we can become more relevant? I have, four, I have four principles for your learning this morning, okay? Number one, if you want to be relevant, if you want to be relevant, the message must be applicable. The message must be applicable. Now, when I talk about the gospel being relevant, I'm not saying that we need to be cool with the gospel, right? In order to be relevant, you have to be cool. You have to have this. Yeah, the church has to look like that. You know, you have to dress this way. I'm not talking about being cool. But if we want to be relevant, we know that the, the message must be applicable. Number two, we must be transparent if we want to be relevant. And that's a tricky one. We must be transparent. Point number three is this. We must ask the right questions. And that's vitally important. That's one that I want you to focus on. And then number four, hit singles and not home runs. You know what that means? Hit singles and not home runs. So the message must be applicable. Oftentimes what people are, worry, are wondering about culturally is how does this message of Jesus, this gospel story that happened over 2,000 years ago, how does it relate to my current situation right now? How does this, this, this message in this Bible help me with my family? How does it help me with my struggling marriage or with my children that aren't listening to me too well? How does it help? How does it help me with my career? How does, it, how does this message of Jesus dying on the cross help me with my, my finances? Or what does it do to me when, it, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about recreation? Are there some things I can and cannot do now because of this message? So we really got to figure out how to make this gospel message applicable. One of my favorite uh, classes that I had at Harding um, University was this class called Missions to Africa. And it was taught by Monty Cox, if you've ever heard of his name before, Dr. Monty Cox. Mary and I were in that class. And one of the things that we had to do in that class, uh, Monty said, look, I want you to write a paper about how you would share the gospel with someone in South 
Eastern Africa who doesn't speak English? How would you relate the gospel story to a person like that who doesn't speak your language and didn't grow up in the same context you did, right? So we all had to write a paper about how we would use certain elements to be able to explain the gospel message. So in my paper, I talked about how, uh, you know, the church is like an elephant. I don't know why I used that, but that's just what came to mind. And there's different parts of this elephant, I think. I, I got an A on the paper, so I'm pretty surprised, right? But what we tried to do was take some elements to make it to relate to where they were, right? I often think about my experiences in the military. The reason why soldiers like to come and listen to this chaplain is because I take the gospel message and I make it relate to their context, right? The devil is like the first sergeant. No, I don't say that, right? <laughs> right? Anyway, but you know where I'm going with it. Or, or, or it's athletes, you know, God, we're in, this, we're in this competition, we're in this fight, but guess what? We're going to win, so we've got to figure out how to make this message applicable. And when we make it applicable to people's lives, then it becomes relevant to them. Someone once told me, be aware that not everybody has the same understanding that you have when it comes to faith and when it comes to religion and when it comes to scripture. So we've got to figure out how to make it make sense to people. And we've got to be transparent. You know, if you looked uh, at the PowerPoint this morning, you saw the video of the baptisms, right? Wonderful, wonderful uh, time last week on Easter Sunday uh, when Alice and William came forward. And after they were baptized and came out of the water, Ed said to me, Jason, do you have any words of wisdom or no, he said words of wisdom. And I think there's a song that we sing about words of wisdom. So I thought he was going to sing the song. So I'm sitting there and he's looking at me and he said, no, do you have any words of wisdom? I said, I think I got one or two. And what I told Alice and William is, is look, I, I was trying to be transparent with him. And what I said, look, what you need to know about your faith and what you need to know about the Christian life is that there is abundance. God will take care of you and bless you and you can have a good life. But also know that Satan is out there to destroy, to rob, steal, and kill everything that you're a part of. He can't stand that you're a disciple of Christ. So just be aware that when you become a Christian, life gets tricky. It gets hard because Satan is on, on, on a, a path to destroy everything that you have. Another word of wisdom that I gave is, is this. Look, the church is a wonderful place and it's full of God's people who are sweet and kind all the time. Okay, I didn't say it that way. I said, look, the church is wonderful and there are wonderful people, but guess what? We're people. So that means that sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes there is sin in our lives and sometimes you can go to a church and you can be discouraged and you can be hurt and you can be angry with someone. Why? Because we're people and we're broken. So not only is the church a wonderful place, but sometimes it's a place where you encounter some challenges. And you need to be aware of that. So when it comes to sharing the gospel message, I think that we have to be transparent. One of the things that I get frustrated with is this prosperity gospel movement, right? You watch it on TV, don't you? You watch TBN and these You give your life to the Lord and give your $20. You become a millionaire tomorrow, right? Or, or you hear that message that when you become a Christian, everything is going to be great. You're going to receive blessings upon blessings. But what we fail to mention is that Jesus was a suffering servant his entire life. 
Sometimes God's purpose for you might be for you to have to go through some hardships, to have to suffer maybe. And what we need to share with people is, look, we've got to, we all have stuff that we're going to have to go through as a result of being a child of God. And I want to make you aware of that. And in my opinion, I think that helps people rather than hurts people. Point number three, like I said, is we've got to ask the right question. Have you ever met somebody like this? You had some issues in your life, and you wanted to go talk to them about what's going on in your life. And as you're talking to them, then they begin to tell you about all their stuff, and it becomes all about them, right? You ever been there before? I've been there before. I go to somebody for advice, and before I know it, they're talking about their story from when they were 19 up until now. And I'm going, how is this helping me? I came to you, and you're just talking me to death, right? You know, sometimes we do that with our faith, with our message, right? We have someone who might be a seeker, and all we do is we just unload on them, right? It's like drinking from a fire hose is what we say sometimes, right? You know, God is this, God is good, and you need to do this, and the Bible says this, and God is this, and you need And what we've messed up with is is we forgot to listen. My mom used to tell me all the time, you got one mouth and two ears. And Jason, you have really big ears for a reason. You need to listen, right? One of the best things that we can do to make the gospel relevant is to ask the right questions. You remember Philip in his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. What did he say? Do you understand what you're reading? Sometimes it takes the right questions. And if you've ever done any counseling, ever taken any classes on counseling, what's your job as a counselor? To listen and to ask questions. So, how does that make you feel? (laughs) I can see you were frustrated about that. Tell me more, right? And I'm poking fun, but that's how we make the gospel relevant. Ask the right questions. Oh, you've had that troubling experience. Tell me how that made you feel. How did, how did you get through that? What did that look like for you? Right? And then there's an opening, and there's a way for us to be able to deliver the message in a very relevant way. But sometimes we just go so hard and we unload, and sometimes that's not the best. And then lastly, here's one that I struggle with, okay? Like I said, we've got to hit singles and not home runs. There's a reason why I don't play for the Yankees, Okay? There's a reason why I played football instead of baseball. Every time I got up to the plate, my dad used to force me to play baseball. I couldn't stand baseball. Every time I would go up to the plate, I would take the biggest swing thinking I'm going to knock it out of the park. I can never hit the ball. I was so bad, in fact, that my coach would tell me to go up to the plate and take one for the team, if you know what that means. (laughs) He'd say, Jason, go up there. I know you're not going to hit it, but at least get hit with the ball so you can get on base. So that was my job. I used to get up there and get hit with the ball, and then I used to run home runs all around the base because I was fast, right? I was trying so hard to hit home runs, and sometimes I do that spiritually without even realizing it sometimes. I want this person so much to be a part of God's kingdom that I'll do anything right now, and I'm going to share the gospel right now with this person, and I hope they become converted right now. And that's the mentality that a lot of us have. But what we need to realize is that sometimes the way you win the game is by hitting singles. The goal is not to convert a person that evening, per se, although sometimes there's opportunities where God will allow that to happen. But the goal is to plant a little seed over time and to water it and to realize, and this is a tough one for me growing up the way that I did, 
the culmination of everything is not baptism per se. That's not the end. That's the very beginning. And then the discipleship process begins over time. Right? Over time. Ephesians 4 and 15 says this. Ephesians 4 and 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. We, in order to make the gospel relevant, here's another thing that we have to do that often becomes difficult is we have to speak the truth. Speak the truth. And many people today don't like to hear the Christian uh, opposing voice, the Christian opposing view. They want us to be silent about certain things. And we can't be afraid to speak in opposition to, to wrongdoing, amen? You, you can't be afraid to speak in opposition of wrongdoing. You've got to stand up for it. You've got to correct it. But then the scripture says something very powerful, speak the truth in love. So how do we speak the truth in love? Classic example. Um, my two daughters are the sweetest girls in the world. They never do anything wrong. And on the rare occasion when they do do something wrong, daddy doesn't yell. I don't scream. Layla and Izzy, what are you doing? But here's how I process it. I love what Ken had to say this morning. Discipline is powerful, but you got to watch how you do it. So when the kids make mistakes, I say, you know what? Daddy is really disappointed in that decision. I don't know why you would make a choice like that. Is there a better way that we can process this together? And what I find every single time is they cry those crocodile tears. It's amazing to me. And that's not the way that I grew up. You see, when I got in trouble as a young boy, my dad, you knuckleheaded, blah, 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 you know, and military, so that's just the way we talked to each other. So I knew it was all love. It didn't really bother me too much, and I, I could take it, right? And I tried that one time with my girls when they were younger. Daddy is just so upset. And they, I, just to see their reaction taught me that I should never talk to my girls like that ever, right? So now when I talk to my girls, it's more I don't raise my voice, so daddy's disappointed. And you would think that, that life is about to end when I talk like that. No, daddy! No! Right? How do we speak the truth in love? How do we correct wrongdoing but do it in a way that illustrates that we love them? Right? And you've been in situations before where someone has hurt you or someone did wrong to you and they needed to be corrected. Right? You've got to watch your approach sometimes when it comes to that. And the Bible tells us to do it in love. Lastly, as we close this morning, I've got some practical application. Uh, and I really want to look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15, and we'll close this morning. 1 Peter 3 and 15, just some practical application on, on how, to, how to take this message and apply it, right? 1 Peter chapter 3 and 15 says this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I love this passage, and I hope that it would just, you would allow it to marinate just a little bit. Always be prepared to give an answer. An answer to what? An answer to the hope that people see in you. 
You see, people, when they see Christian people, they should be asking a question, and the question that should be asking is, is why do you have so much hope? And that's not because of your dogma or because how you're teaching. It's just by the way that you live. People are watching the way that you live, and they should be asking a question. Why do you live like that? Why do you have so much hope? You're living differently. And really, this is a text, mind you, that is all about apologetics, right? And I'm going to show you a really quick way and cool way to really share the message uh, and be in defense of the gospel without having to put up your dukes and fight, okay? So practical application, great sermon, now what? What do I want you to do? Practically, how do I become more relevant? What are some things that I can start implementing right now and do right now to make the gospel relevant uh, for people? The first thing that I would say is if you want to be relevant and you really want to do this and that this is live differently and always have an answer, the first thing that you have to do is do the opposite. Write that down. Do the opposite. And what I mean by do the opposite is do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. You know, it's easy to complain, isn't it? It's easy to complain. It's easy to fuss. It's easy to complain and fuss. When you feel like you're in that position where you're ready to complain, do the opposite, right? Do the opposite. Or you're really angry, and people around you are angry because of something. Instead of being angry with them, do the opposite. You see how it works? When you can cut someone off in traffic, and you have that wide open lane to do that, don't do that. Do the opposite of what you would do, right? Just something to keep in mind. When you do the opposite, people take notice of that. And then they may be willing to say to you, why do you, how are you able to keep your cool? Why don't you get flustered or angry? Well, it's because of this reason, right? So do the opposite and always be hopeful. There are conditions and situations where we can find ourselves uh, around people who are just defeated. Defeated by life, things going on. But as disciples of the Lord, we're called to be different. So we're called to have hope right? And when we live in that way, people will ask questions. So number one, do the opposite. Number two, here's one that I really appreciate. If you want to be relevant, be gracious with your language. Be gracious with your language. So one of the things that I try to do often is I try to say thank you, and I really appreciate you, right? You know what that does to people when you say that? Even at the grocery store, you can be in line at Target when the lady checks you out. Thank you. I just really appreciate you today. And they go, what? <laughs> All I did was put your milk in a bag. But you know what? I appreciate you. Try it. I'm telling you. Next time you go to the store, that checker, that clerk, just say, don't even say thank you. Say, I really appreciate you. And watch what they do. They go, what? Say that to your boss at work. Hey, I want you to work overtime this week. No problem. Thank you. I really appreciate you, by the way. See what that does. <laughs> Might be going a little too far. But the point is, be gracious with your language and see what that does. People take note of that, right? And then lastly is this, and this is kind of, seems kind of counterintuitive, but we're talking about apologetics. I already mentioned it a little bit, but I want to mention it more. Condemn, condemn sin publicly. And you're going, wait a minute, you're moving in this nice direction where you said do the opposite and say thank you and be gracious. Here's another thing. If we always want to have an answer and we want to be able to be able to share our, our, our hope and our faith and our relationship with the Lord, we've got to condemn sin publicly. And this is where it gets a little tricky and a little testy. 
And I do it often. I'll be around a circle of friends who are not necessarily Christian, and I'll see something, I'll be hanging with them, and I'll say, you know what? That is just wrong. That is just so sinful. And they go, sinful? What makes you say sinful? How can you say that? I'm like, oh, you're really asking me that question right now. Well, let me break it down to you, brother, right? So one of the things that we can do that I think is really important is to publicly condemn sin. When we see wrongdoing, we need to speak up about it. That is wrong. Well, who makes you the judge? Well, I'm not the judge. The words of the Lord are the judge, right? How can you believe that? Well, because I believe the Bible, and the Bible is true. And my, well, how can you say that? Well, God is, and you can tie it all in together. But we can't be afraid to publicly condemn sin. And sometimes what we do is we try to avoid it and stay away from it so that we can act that we really love people, right? Like if we see people that are publicly intoxicated, that is just wrong. That's sinful. I do that sometimes. I really do. And people go around me and they go, what? What? You, how, what? But what I'm saying is when you publicly condemn sin, it perks people's ears up. And they go, who made you the judge? And what we do is we are able to share the gospel with them then. So in my opinion, these are just a few ways that we can become more relevant when it comes to sharing the gospel. So I hope and pray that you'll take note of some of these things and try to implement them this week as you do your best to be an evangelist, as you do your best to be a missionary in the context and social circles that you find yourselves in. So this morning we got a song of invitation uh, selected. If there is anyone here that needs to respond to the message, maybe you want to be uh, a better disciple of Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to come forward. The church will pray with you, pray for you, to encourage you and to build you up. Um, maybe this morning you want to be a Christian. You want to put the Lord on in baptism. You have the opportunity to do that today as well. Uh, during that song of invitation, we invite you to come. Our elders will be up front here uh, to take any requests that you might have. So whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation? <laughs>